Hello and welcome to another episode of Story Screen Presents Real Page Turner, the book to film adaptation discussion podcast from the Story Screen family. I'm Jack Kolajeski, joined today by Robert Anderson. Hey, yep. How's it going, Robbie? It's going well. Good. We're uh, uh, we're taking over this yeah this show. Mike's out. Bit. We're in. We're in. And he's never coming back. He will. He'll probably come not back. if we have anything to say about it. That's true. I don't know if he's doing the next one, but we'll see. Maybe. Mm. Um, anyway, Robbie and I got together today to talk about. Uh, last time you and Mike talked about V for Vendetta. Yes. Um, uh, an Alan Moore joint. Mm-hmm. And today, we are here to talk about another Alan Moore joint. Yeah. What are we here to talk about, Robbie? We're talking about Watchmen, the book, the adaptation. Watchmen, written by Alan Moore. I think uh, drawn by... by Dave Gibbons. Yes. And then the movie... Created by, or not created, uh, directed by Zack Snyder. Zack Snyder. Our favorite director. Yes. And uh, the we surprise that I've been holding out for you, Robbie, do you know who wrote the screenplay for the for the Watchmen film? I actually do not know. David Hayter. Oh, you're fucking kidding me. I am serious. Yes, I am serious. Oh, David um, Hayter of Solid Snake. Colonel. Colonel. A hind D. hind D. The lolly lulay low. Yes, Metal uh, David Solid Hater of, uh, of Solid Snake. That kind of makes that movie make boss. more sense to me now. Um, when <laughs> I say screenwriter for Watchmen, and no disrespect to David Hayter, uh, we I, love I him. like him very much. Mm-hmm. I like his work very much, both written and spoken. Yes. Um, I don't know how much he... Well, I suppose when it comes to a screenplay, there's more than just like the actual word said, but... yes. <clears throat> Maybe we'll break into this more, but I don't know how many words he actually wrote for this this adaptation. Yeah, I mean, maybe we can. Uh, we'll get there. We'll, we'll get, get there. We'll, we'll come yeah. back to that. We'll come back to yeah. that. But Watchmen, for those who don't know, mm. um, graphic novel came out in 1986. Um, it ran from, I believe, I just looked. I just looked this I think up. It's 86, night. 87. Yes, so it was September run. 86 to October 87. Twelve issues, um, I believe. Yes, twelve issues. Yep. Um, and was hugely, hugely influential for yeah. its time, and like very well received, both critically and like normally. You yes. know, it was not controversial. Like maybe I kind of thought with the subject matter that Watchmen deals with, I was like, this is gonna piss a lot of people off. Yeah. But it kind of, I mean, like people generally really liked it. Yeah, I think. Well, I mean, it came at a different time. It, it, yeah. It's tough to say if if something groundbreaking in the same way as this would would have different conversations about it but i think it changed the game so much for superhero stories yeah um especially superhero stories with a more of a critical lens on the genre as a whole um and more of a a a breakdown and a dissection of what makes superhero stories tick um, as far as that goes, I think it was hugely, hugely, and yeah. admittedly, I'm not as influential, or no, sorry, no, I'm not as, um, familiar with, you know, the time period and the kind of material right. that was coming out at the time. It was quite a bit before I was born. Yes. But, um, I think Watchmen really had a huge splash on the conversation around how you can, Go deeper than just your average vigilante justice. Um, yeah. And talk about that and talk about 
um, a lot of political and social issues through the lens of that kind of story. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the quotes, like, around Watchmen is, uh, I forget which outlet said it, but it, they said, uh, Watchmen is when comic books grew up. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And I think in the 80s, you were going through, like, some of the Frank Miller stuff. Which is huge. Um, and and dark. Know, Batman was changing, and, and comics were definitely getting a lot darker and a lot heavier and dealing with some, some bigger themes. Yeah. But Watchmen just is the complete package, I think, that really binds all that stuff together yeah. and nails it um, and really runs away with some of those ideas. Yeah, I mean, reading it right after reading Beaver Vendetta. Another um, Alan Moore joint. Another Alan Moore joint. And I love the... Um, <clears throat> you can listen to our last episode of Real Page Turner to hear my complete thoughts on Beaver Vendetta. But, uh, you know, I love the graphic novel. I think it's, I think it's incredible. It's very similar to Watchmen where um, it's much less about... You always kind of think of V as a superhero, but he's not really. This is much more is concerned with superheroes. He is in his own right, maybe less... He, he is somewhat of a vigilante in that he is acting outside the law to enact his own sense of justice. Yeah, but he's but much more, more of an anarchist. Yeah, probably. it's like, more of a him yeah. versus the government versus him just going out and beating up, you know, right. duels. Mm-hmm. Um But Watchmen is very much a story about... Um, a world where superheroism came up in the 30s uh, following action comics, following the Superman as yeah. stories. Um, and Superman is a is a fiction that exists within the Watchmen yep. um, narrative. And people took those ideas to heart and started putting out putting on masks and going out and punching people in the face, cleaning up crime, um, cleaning up crime, and. Um, that unfolded over many decades uh, to the point where you get police riots because police are fed up with this vigilantism, wave of vigilante yeah. justice and go on a riot and society reacts by, or not a riot, sorry, uh, a strike and society reacts by rioting um, mm-hmm. and then to quell those riots uh, there is a a bill passed in the Senate that outlaws vigilante justice. Right. Um, which I would say, is that not already probably like just built into the regular constitutional law? Well, like, they don't go out and enact your they own. They said that they like remade vigilantism illegal. I think that in the context of the book, people were breaking the law by doing it and then it became accepted for a time because I think it was effective. I see. I see. And then once the. The strike happens and the riots are happening. No, 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 don't do this. They're like, ah, this actually sucks. And then okay. they do the Keen Act. Gotcha. And now we're in this weird dystopian so future. The, the the present day of this book, if you can have a present day, because a lot of this book is jumping back and forth. It's very nonlinear, yeah. Very seamlessly between time periods. Yeah, it's... And that's an idea I want to come back to because yeah. I think that's something I want to talk about in depth. But um, the present day heroes that we have here are retired. Mm-hmm. Uh, vigilantes. We have two um, major generations, both retired. Exactly. Um, aside from your holdouts, who are still enacting their own, and uh, the government. So you have Rorschach, who is the one holdout um, right. vigilante, who is still who will never surrender. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll talk a lot more about him as yes. the episode goes on. And then you have the two government-sanctioned heroes, right? Which is the comedian and Doctor Manhattan, right? 
Um, so yeah, it, it does, a, I think, a really excellent job of, of just establishing this world where mm-hmm. the idea of vigilantes and that kind of justice taken to its most extreme and really grounded sort of basis. Yeah, I mean, I think when you like first pick up Watchmen, and I mean, I, I guess I'd say when I was reading Watchmen, I think I was 17 or 18 years old. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I definitely read it in high school for the first yeah, time. Yeah, and I was happy to revisit it because there's a lot of stuff that went over my head. Yeah, I would There's a lot so of stuff sure. that hit me more uh, this time reading it, for sure. This is my third time reading it, I think. This is my second. Yeah. And then we watched the movie for my second time the other day, and that was a, a ride. Well, yeah, well, that's what we're here for. <laughs> um, but reading the book again, uh, or like when I was reading it the first time, there, there was a point where you're like, so do they have, super, do they have superpowers or not? And then, kind of as you as you go through the pretty quickly as you go through the book, you realize that they're just they do pe- not they're just people. Yes, they're essentially like you know WWE wrestlers in a way where it's like the narrative gives them power in a way. Right. Their personas are power, but they don't have power themselves. Right. I mean, know? they may be skilled martial artists. Some um, you know, Night Owl has a fair amount of gadgets, and um, then even Hollis Batman Mason's Night Owl, he's. He's much more. He's just. He was just a cop, right? Who decided to kind of do his own thing. Yep. Um, and then Rorschach, maybe just sheer determination and force of will, is kind of his power. He's he's a mad dog, yeah. in a way, and he's uh, pointed in the right direction. And uh, we'll we'll probably break down some of the char- characters more, but you kind of have Night Owl and Rorschach being two sides of the Batman coin, right? Um, and then you have Doctor Manhattan, who is. The one actual superhero. And he's all-powerful. Yeah. They give the guy with the powers, all oh, the powers are manageable. Yes. Which is great. Um, so it, 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 it breaks down how that kind of idea of becoming a vigilante and putting on a mask and going out and fighting crime on your own... What kind of psyche would drive a person to do such a thing? What are the motivations to do to drive someone to do such a thing? And also, what kind of impact that would have on a person? Yeah, the Especially fallout of it. Someone who is far removed. Yeah. Um, I think it's, what, 10 years after the Keen Act has passed? More? Uh, I think it's 77 the Keen Act passed, so it's almost... It takes place in 86? I think it's 85. 85 or 86? 85 or 86, yeah. for sure, yeah. It jumps back and forth throughout time so seamlessly that it's hard to really get a grasp for um, exactly what... It's it's hard to pin down exactly And there's also so many, you know, there's so many perspectives right. at play as well. You're not just jumping back and forth with one character. You're jumping back and forth with an ensemble group of characters. Exactly. So, uh, um, And I think it's it's most important to say that the, the most present um, timeline of the story takes place... In very much in the Red Scare, um, sort yeah, of McCarthyism. It's, post, it's like post McCarthyism, I would say, because like by the eighties, you're kind of having the breakdown. I think McCarthy, McCarthyism also is is different in the context. Yes, because I think one of the one of the main things I noticed even today, finishing the book, Sunny Super Super Dogs. Sunny, there. hello. Uh, what do you think of Watchmen? Do you like Watchmen, Sunny? Yeah. Oh, she loves it. She loves it. <laughs> Sunny's on the table. She's right, hot she's on the mic. My face now. That's All hard right, to do come on. audio. Come on, dog. Hey, Sonny. Sonny. Down Sonny, there. come on. We'll get, your, we'll get you back in later. She's so cute. She has she has opinions. Um, yeah, I think McCarthyism is different in the context of 
the book because one of the main things I noticed reading it, finishing it today, but also kind of mulling it over was um, in the book, they win Vietnam. Right. We don't win. I always, you kind of <laughs> always forget that we don't really win Vietnam. We <laughs> no. like basically lose and dip. Yeah. We kind of decided yeah. we had enough. But you know, when you add a superhuman blue man right to the group, Wow. You like that? Nice. <laughs> then things start, you know, then we win that war. So I think, you know, the kind of McCarthyism and kind of uh, anti-socialist, anti-communist yes. kind of practices, they, they change a bit. McCarthyism still exists because that's like kind of the driving factors for why they start making the heroes unmask themselves because right. they kind of start accusing them of being like communists. Right. Um, but I just think it's wholly different in the book. Yes. And it is sort of a weird alternate future because of how, mm -hmm. specifically how Dr. Manhattan more than anything changed everything, changed things. Yeah. I mean, um, the, the technology accelerates because right. he exists because he's able to like reduce matter and m change molecular structures. So you have electric cars right. in the eighties. Right. Rorschach masks, uh, Rorschach's mask like works very practically in because the context books because of the technology that yes. made it exist. Um, but it, it is in a, in a place that is very much the Red Scare, and it is the idea that Russia is pushing into Afghanistan um, yes. at the, the onset of the story. And tensions are high between nations. And Dr. Manhattan um, serves, who is firmly on America's side, serves as a kind of... Um, uh, uh, weapon of mass destruction yeah. that keeps the peace because Russia knows that at any time America could deploy this weapon that would yeah. completely destroy them. Annihilate them. Um, and it plays into the idea of mutually assured destruction and the nuclear arms race um, in a very interesting way that I can only imagine like how that really played off in the 80s as you were kind of getting to the tail end of the Cold War yeah. um, and how that played with people's politics. Absolutely. I mean, you know, it it's still the Cold War is still an issue in the book, but it's also it's different. like having Dr. Manhattan just it just I like how the book skews and kind of pivots history without mm -hmm. not wholly changing it. Right. It very much seems like our timeline, but things just kind of move a little bit. Right. Right. I mean, even today, the idea of, you know, tension with russia is starting to boil up again yeah unfortunately not in the same um, it's different you know but, uh, uh nuclear annihilation although maybe not with russia but uh the fear yeah. of nuclear annihilation but a, a major theme of the book is this kind of being on the precipice of nuclear annihilation and mm. um, a major thematic uh angle of the book is the doomsday clock, right. which is used prevalently between chapters. Mm -hmm. um, it's referenced multiple times. Yeah. And at the onset of this book, the doomsday clock is five minutes to midnight. Mm -hmm. Do you know where the, the doomsday clock is a real thing? I know. I don't and know too much it about like it. I know it is real. Like a, a manifestation of, I, I don't know exactly the, the politics or the science behind it, but it is a manifestation of a kind of like measurement of how close we so are like to algorithm really, like i'm who, not really sure okay. i don't know if it's algorithmic or just kind of decided upon someone's like yeah hey, today was really fucked up so they just move it up a little bit where would you wager 
our real life doomsday clock is right now. You not knowing this. Because right? uh, I do know. You do know? Yes. <sighs> it's a five minutes to midnight. It's actually two minutes to midnight. Oh, that's not good. Recently changed to two minutes to midnight. Uh, I think geez. a week or two ago they moved it up really? to two minutes to midnight. Who owns the clock? I, you know, I Who don't. Is the... I don't know enough about. I, I should have looked it up, but I don't know enough about the. Yeah, clock well, because you know, for all it. we know, it it was way lower like a few weeks ago, and then they're like, "Ah, right, we got to move it up to two. I don't. I wouldn't Can say we only... were like you know half six. I, yeah, we're, <laughs> we've been probably eleven. So are, are we always in the hour of doom? You know, like, is uh, it like you know, 6 p.m. doomsday, it feels 6 like a.m. doomsday? It feels like it. You think it feels like it's 10 p.m. doomsday today. It's definitely like not noon 30 on doomsday. It ain't, it ain't no noon 30. You know, I'll tell like, you, listen, <laughs> I'm, I'm playing devil's up. advocate, but I'm not an idiot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're, uh, we're close, getting yeah. closer. We're so, getting there. Um, but I, I think all that plays to the setting that this world takes place in that is very tangible and believable and that setting really lends to a playground that all of the characters mm. who are fantastically written each and every one of them um it, it all just lends to a sense of place that really yeah. makes this novel work um and i think within those the that setting you have kind of a, a um a psychological breakdown of the many facets of superheroism and yeah. how that affects people and i think the the two things that this book really really does two of the things that this book does really really fantastically mm-hmm. um because uh, there's many things that this oh, book yeah. does fantastically i think it has a fantastic sense of place and it has really great characters with mm-hmm. a lot of depth each every single one even uh, some of the ancillary characters like are you just want to know more about them yeah and the book is is dense and these are they're not superheroes they no. are people trying to be superheroes and it is a study of how that how that would affect people i mean they're outcasts trying to find their place you know they're kind of like they're like the queer they're the people who are askew or out of orbit and they use this as like this is their place and for a while it was right you know for a while it worked for them and they were accepted but short-lived you know only only a few decades of of the superheroism in, in the context of the book. Yeah. And so I want to break down before we get deeper into the movie, because yeah. I, I think before we get into the movie, it's important to talk in depth about how the book does write um, by these characters before we, we really give more of our opinions on the movie and we, we dig into the, <laughs> how the movie handles the subjects of the book. Right. Um, but I want to kind of, and there are a lot of them, so I want to break down some of the characters in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you're probably your your most heavily um, used character in the book is Rorschach. Uh, yeah, I would say I would put him kind of first and foremost. He starts he a middle off chunk the where he's not there as much. So I guess that's yes. why I think true. I had to think about it, but I guess. Yeah, I think but right. he through his lens, you kind of get introduced to this world and to this story. And yeah. Rorschach is the one character who has not retired, mm-hmm. who has chosen to continue vigilantism, yeah. um, and who is sort of at the forefront of the conspiracy. That's sort of the main driver of the story of this book, right? Um, how do you feel about Rorschach and his character? You know, I remember. Again, so I have to kind of, as much as Watchmen's a multi-generational story, so is my, like, 
interacting with it because okay. you know reading reading at the age of 17 and reading again literally 10 years later right different robbie yeah different different and eyes yeah i'm curious your take on that because i probably went through some similar feelings so like uh the moral compass of a lot of the heroes don't align with me at all yeah and i realize that only now and like, that is for sure on purpose yeah oh yeah like uh rorschach is a very he's he's nihilistic in a way, but his moral compass is set so just that, like, some some things are just like, are you really going to be a fucking crazy person about these things? Right. It's, like, it's creeping towards fascism. Like, yeah, he is exactly. so strict in his sense of justice yeah. that he is... But also, yes, nihilism. Mm. It's, it's that... It's like the intersection of nihilism and fascism. Which is a... Which would make, like, a really, you know... A wildly dangerous person. Yes. And who's someone who's like, you know, Rorschach's interesting because he's he's ugly and he's dirty and he doesn't have a face. His face is literally a reflection of humanity because he's yes. a Rorschach test. But he's also a detective in a way. Like he right. he wholly is that character. And as much as I love the character on paper, me really kind of loving him as a adolescent and me <laughs> seeing him now, I'm just like Oh, that guy's a piece of shit. Well, I think you, you, as an adolescent, the like context of his politics are maybe lost, right? Because he is adamant, right wing conservative. Yes, politically. Yes, he, he, and I, he, his sense of justice gives him this air of holier than thou mentality, where everything, everyone else is wrong. Everyone yeah. else is below him. Everyone else is a bottom feeder. Or a queer and way worse words than yeah. that. And he is the one sane person. Yes. He's the one person seeing everything with clarity. Mm-hmm. His moral compass is exactly right and everyone else is wrong. But it's weird because he almost seems to have no... He's he's like a devil's advocate. He's like... He's a devil's advocate in, in society and the society of Watchmen. But I almost feel like he doesn't wholly have a a plan to fix everything. Mm-hmm. When you go to like V for Vendetta, you have this character who is a devil's advocate to society. He's a devil's advocate to fascism, which is anarchy. But he has this master plan. Right. And later when we get to Ozymandias, he also is not happy with the state of the world. But he has a plan to change it. Right. So to have these other characters retire, maybe give up on this dream of change, but have one character remain active, it's it's just insanity. Like what is his? Like what what would you think is like his? Like, why does he stay active? What does he hope to change? I mean, I think a lot of it is just unfocused rage. Yeah. You know, he is angry with the world. I mean, isn't that a quote from his therapist when he's in prison? He sees sees the world as this broken cesspool, and he thinks he's the only just person in it. And he's walking through it, enacting his own justice on it. It's not like he has a, a, like you said, a plan. Mm -hmm. Um, He is just existing in this world and he he even says there's a scene where he you know puts on his mask to start kind of his night yeah and he runs upon a mugging or assault um and he says sometimes the night is is generous he says something to that Mm -hmm. uh, to that uh, akin and and you can tell that he just takes pleasure in enacting his justice on this world that he sees as below him 
his rage and his violence. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, without any sort of like grander scheme to making mm-hmm. the world a better place. I yeah. think he is just punishing the world for how he sees it. Especially at the Rorschach we meet, um, you know, his humanity has long died. We learn right. in the book and he, you know, the reason he's kind of outcasted and as an outlier to the rest of the vigilantes is not just because he is active, it's because he's a murderer. Right. And I think that's a really interesting aspect of his character because he starts out in a similar fashion to some of the other vigilantes in the story. Like mm. he he's teamed up with Night Owl for the majority of their youth and he kind of comes up being just this detective, you know, Batman-esque. And like, he's described as being more normal than he is now. Yes. And he has a moment that he describes to... so. He, Within the story, he gets. We're, by the way, talking about this. Story oh yeah, got. If you haven't figured out, we spoiled the everything. Yeah, everything's we're, been spoiled. We're going deep on this. Yeah. We're not. We're not. Well, back it, this is a book club, so hopefully yeah. you guys have you done your the homework. Book. Yeah. And if not, no Spark Notes is going to get you through this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would be interested to read the Spark Notes on Watchmen or see the class that I, ha- it has Watchmen assigned to them. I will be that teacher. Um, that is me. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. I think there's a lot. I'm of sure there's a graphic book. novel class that. Probably. Watchmen is the opus, the final project. Um, But, so Rorschach is captured, and maybe we'll talk more about the actual, like, we'll see where we get there with the it. conspiracy that goes on within the story. But he's captured at one point and goes to prison and is spends the majority of his time in prison speaking with um, a therapist, a, a psychologist. Yeah. Um, and I really love how they portray this, the, this psychologist as an optimist yeah um in the beginning and he's like oh i really think i can i can help this he's person. doing better i know i can do yeah, this I, yeah i oh I'm, I'm seeing progress with him i know i know he know he's confident oh, yeah. that he can he can, he can do, do this do well by rorschach right and and rorschach's nihilism is just poisonous and infectious and you see i really love that aspect of his character seeping into his therapist yeah. and breaking him down making him look at Rorschach having tests, you know yeah, and, like, ha- and, and being like you said being yeah. this reflection of humanity mm-hmm. and Rorschach in speaking with his therapist um psychologist I guess I think he's he kind he's of plays probably, both roles yeah right? I'm a, yeah I think he's probably kind he's of psychoanalyzing Rorschach while also trying to uh rehabilitate him yeah in yeah. a way delivering some kind of therapy right right so he describes kind of the turning point for him um the event pretty much the incident yes the incident that changes his his asp his his views of humanity where he he was a vigilante that was basically letting criminals live he was stopping crime but he was letting the criminals live. yeah he was operating much like any other he's batman yeah he's batman yeah yeah and um he and again he and, and nighthawk um, Night, Night Owl, Owl, sorry, um, teamed up to be like the two halves of a whole Batman. Right. Um, and I think that's interesting that that, that team worked together. We'll talk more about uh, Night Owl as we go on. But he describes the scene where he goes to investigate the kidnapping of a young girl, a six-year-old mm-hmm. girl. He finds that basically his her kidnapper had, um, when he realized that there was not actually any uh, ransom to money to uh, be to be had mm-hmm. um he realizes that the kidnapper murdered the girl chopped her up and fed her to his dogs right 
And in that moment, he has this realization that there is no humanity left. Yeah. And he goes complete full nihilist. He realizes there's no God. There's no hope. There's no humanity. In a a monologue that I really like. It's amazing. Well, the thing is, it's... So it's described as, you know, his real name is uh, Walter Kovacs. Right. And he describes it as, that's the night that Walter Kovacs died. Walter Kovacs is pretending to be Rorschach. Right. Rorschach took his place. Right. Now there's just Rorschach. Yeah. And I... I want to... At some point we're going to have to start talking about this movie. Some, I think we'll like but, maybe after the break, yeah, we can kind of dive into movie specific because there's so much of the book just to talk about. Yes, and I think uh, again, a lot of how we're going to talk about the movie is going to be in the context of how it handles the book. Yeah, because I mean, the movie is a very direct adaptation. Yes, and we'll get there. Yes, but uh, it's still on Rorschach. But I, my one bone to pick sure. about that scene oh, specifically. Ew, don't say it like that. Oh fuck! <laughs> Didn't even do that on purpose. Um, my my one gripe with that scene is that the movie totally biffs both the monologue and the way that that Warshak scene plays handles out. It. It's crazy. I'll say this right now. I've been sitting on this since we watched the movie. It's almost like Zack Snyder thought that Watchmen the book was boring. It's almost like he was reading the book. He's like, "This book's so fucking boring. I gotta he... do something to it." <laughs> like it's crazy. Um, I think we should. I know I just like should we continue with talking about the book? We should talk about Rorschach's. Okay. Uh, Um, but I I love the idea. He's talking to this therapist, and when he gives the therapist what he wants, he gives the therapist like, "You want to know why the fuck I'm I'm like this?" Right. And it literally changes the dude's mind. Right. By the end of the book, he's he's almost trying to be like a therapist vigilante, where he's like. He's like stop. Like his wife's trying to be like, you need to change your profession. You need to, if you want to be with me, you need to do this. He sees a couple fighting, and he's like, no, I need to help them. Mm-hmm. Like he he's kind of like a weird extension of Rorschach. Yeah, in that it's way. it's interesting because he totally, um, his the relationship he has with his wife uh, unravels, deteriorates. Completely. Um, yeah, he even starts. You know, he you have. Throughout the book, you're seeing um, from the perspective of Rorschach's journal, you kind of get the monologue of Rorschach's journal. And then when he's in prison. And then when he's in prison, you get the psychologist's journal. Yes. Um, Malcolm Long is the name of the psychologist, hey. by the way. Um, he Good starts call. writing like Rorschach. By the yeah. end of that chapter, he is writing like it, like the broken short sentences yeah. like Rorschach. And he also, he, you know, he originally is calling him by Rorschach's quote-unquote real name. He's calling him Kovacs. And then he keeps messing he up, and he starts stripping. calling him Rorschach, and yep. he and he realizes it. Yeah, um, he's he's probably one of my favorite side pieces Absolutely. in Watchmen because he has such an arc in that one volume. Something that is not touched with the movie. No, he's just you know the therapist guy. But you know the thing is, again, when we get to the movie, there's some cuts and sacrifices you got to make. That I could I could see even the best version of that movie maybe that not making it in there, mm-hmm. but we'll see. Okay, um, well, we'll hmm. it's going to be hard to weave kind of the ideas that we have about the movie in with this. Well, let's pivot away from Rorschach because I think we covered a lot of him in the book. Definitely. Um, but how, the comedian is yes. probably like you know the Another character movie. who's not 
alive in the story for right. the entire well, thing. Well, the but... inciting incident of this story is that the comedian has been someone killed. who is from the first generation. We mentioned the two generations of right. heroes being the ones that kind of came up in the 30s, 40s. And then they sort of pass the torch on. They're the... Um... He's kind of a part of both, though. Yes, the comedian is part of both. Yeah. The original group is called... The Minutemen. Minutemen. Yeah. And the second group is not called the Watchmen. They're never called the Watchmen in the book. I think they're almost called the Crime Busters. Crime Busters. And then they're like, fuck you, we're not doing <laughs> exactly. that. Exactly. And yeah. then it just doesn't really pan out that mm-hmm. they're actually a super group. But um, yes, he the comedian is part of the Minutemen initially, Yep. but he becomes a tool of the government yes. and is used in Vietnam alongside Dr. Manhattan. Um, and about and some other like CD assassination attempts. Yes. Yeah. Um, also not covered in the book that was added. Uh no it mentioned it, it's mentioned it's heavily implied. Okay. Because you remember the scene. Okay. Do you remember the scene where he's at? Uh, they're throwing a banquet. This is at the almost the end of the graphic novel. Uh huh. There's a flashback. Um, it's when uh Silk Spectre two Lori Jupiter is on Mars and she's like piecing together her the, father her father yeah, is the exactly. comedian um and so she's piecing it all together but there's a scene where she's at a banquet and she describes herself as mean drunk right and the comedian's kind of bragging about like don't ask me where i was when jfk died or something like oh, that I see. okay so it's like the movie just subtle gives it to you yeah just to you <laughs> just, really but it is very like it's like it's like you know nudge nudge hush hush right okay but yeah, the comedian is this interesting idea of a a vigilante or a masked hero because really he, I think he is sort of the foil to Rorschach in the way that he understands the way that humanity works or the way that it's broken. Yeah. But he has somehow managed to maintain his sanity, yeah. but it's all played as cynicism. I mean, the, the nihilistic pillars and the kind of, like, dark character pillars of the story is Rorschach, the comedian, and Vet. Vite? Vet? How do you say that? Vite. Vite? Yeah. I would say Vite, you know, being kind of one extreme, right? Uh, Rorschach being the other, and then the comedian being in a way that kind of laughs at all of it. Right. But when looking at it, you would put him right. in that camp. He, he is know? cynical of all of this. Right. Um, and he is enacting justice as a, a, a force of the government, mm-hmm. but he understands that it's, he says it's all a big joke. It's all a big joke. He doesn't give a fuck about anything. There is no morality in his eyes, only the, you know, the, the direction you point the gun in. Yeah. Except for maybe we learn, uh, that's the thing, like, he, we only learn about this character through the perspectives of other people. Yeah, through flashbacks. Exactly. And this is another thing I was kind of thinking on today. You know, do I think that by learning some of the softer moments of his character that you don't necessarily see but are implied, like the, you know, the pre-sexual assault of um, uh, Sally Jupiter. Sally Jupiter. Um, Because there was like a romantic relationship there. By the end of the story, you see her like kissing a photograph of him. Right. Once everything's well, I, kind of revealed. I think that the, maybe we'll talk about more of this when we get to the Jupiters, but it's post the attempted rape that the romanticism Oh, right. yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah. Well, yeah, he's still, he's a big piece of shit. He's a piece of shit. He's, he's a, piece a complete of shit. piece of shit, and it's it's illustrated time and time again. Yeah. I mean, his he has a scene 
where he's in Vietnam, where mm-hmm. he has impregnated a Vietnamese woman who now has come to him at the end of the war and says, we need to talk about this baby. Yeah. And he's like, get out of my face. You're a joke. I yeah. don't care. I'm she leaving. attacks him and he murders her. Yeah. While she's pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um, so he is, he definitely is this like lack of morality, but enactment of justice, um, in a, in a twisted way that only Alan Moore could really, he's a monster. Alan Moore's also a monster, but he's, you know, it's strange. I, I always like the idea that, you know, it makes so much sense that Dr. Manhattan is a tool of the government. Right. The comedian being a tool of the government is only because he says yes. Pretty yeah, much. Well, He's I, like, yeah, I'll fucking do that. I, Whatever. I, th- I think from his cynical point of view, he sees the the means to an end in that. Mm-hmm. And he sees, you know, none of this really matters. What am I going to do? Go out and beat people up on the streets? No. Yeah. Uh, I'll let the government pay me to do what they want because I don't really think any sort of way one way or another as far as like the morality or the justice right. in this. But if the government wants to pay me to use a certain skill set that I've acquired by fighting crime, I'll let them do that and I'll, I'll, you know, cash the paychecks. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, he's like, he's a patsy in a way, but he's also, he's very controlling. He's very aware of of what he's being used for. He he keeps that, I think, at an arm's length and he uses it to his advantage. He's also, he's like a, he's like, he's a pawn of Nixon, really. He's a part of that administration, which, you know, you learn is seedy. And again, they also very much saying that that's the reason JFK gets killed in the context of this story. Right. And maybe real life. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, it's a, definitely a bigger criticism of that, those conservative politics, which yeah. I'm curious, how much do you know about Alan Moore and his politics? Because I, he, uh, it seems like... He seems like he's anti-fascist, he very, for sure. very much seems critical of the right. And um, But I think he's, I think he's also very critical of like American politics, uh, which I think that this, I think Watchmen is very critical on both sides of like the neo spectrum. Yes, it's very critical on liberals. Yes, um, it's also very because even like the two journalistic outlets in the story are not put in good lights because you have the New right. Frontiers Men and I think it's the Nova Nova yeah Nova there. So like those are like the two you know one's liberal one's conservative right. and neither of them are painted in a good light right you know exactly so. yeah they're both like two yeah. sides of the extremes and i think you know extremism is what this this book deals in oh yeah in huge ways um and the, the two the two sides of extremism and how if you're in the middle you retire that's the like, exactly if, if you're in the middle you gave up or you're, you're the you're the comedian and you're just you're just cynical and and going towards the highest bidder yeah you know just he's he's a mercenary right. essentially yeah um which I, I think brings us to the next character that I'd like to talk about, who is the other government-employed um, mm. crime fighter, superhero, Dr. Manhattan. The big blue dog. Do you want to save him for the end? Because I feel like he is maybe he kind one of, of the most the whole... important. Yeah, we could save Dr. Manhattan for the end. I mean, the big ones are Rorschach, the comedian, Dr. Manhattan. Night Owl. Night Owl is big, but he's also not... He's not huge in the context of, like, the momentum of the story. But I think... He's a great character. I think when it comes to the way that Watchmen breaks down superhero psyches, mm-hmm. um, he is very important. Um, yeah. Maybe he would take a little less time to really get into than Dr. Manhattan. Mm-hmm. But it's... it's um, uh, Night Owl and Silk Spectre 2. 
Yeah. Um, Lori. Lori Jenkins. Yeah. Uh, not Jenkins. Uh, is it Jupiter is oh, their Jupiter. like. Is there like? But they have like name? a. They Russian, have a Polish name. A Polish name. That's um just. Come on, call it Czech or something like that. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Um, I'm so disconnected from the Polish side of yeah. my family besides the long freaky Polish last name. I'm sorry. Love it. <laughs> I don't speak any I don't speak any Polish. I'm sorry. Um Polish my my it. Polish family kind of were like nineteen oh one and past that. Then you guys have Polish. been pretty American. Pretty American since then. Since then. <laughs> yeah, so um so yeah I think you kinda have the idea with Night Owl um with Daniel Dryberg. Yes. Um, the idea of this kind of tarnished masculinity and the the deflated ego of the male superhero mm-hmm. um, in in Dan because he he is the other half of the Batman coin of of Rorschach. He um, is wealthy by inheritance. Yep. Um, he has a bunch of gadgets. Yes. He dresses up like an owl. Uh, a little you know, different than a, than a Batman's um, animal that flies. Owls like a bat. Sort of. They're nocturnal flying creatures. Kind of. Yeah. They are. Yeah. They both are. Um, Owls are cuter, though. They are cuter. They're pretty yeah. cute. There are some cute bats. There are some. You were all. We were both thinking of the Facebook video where they're petting that dog. Yeah, there's him. a yeah. bat. I, f- I don't know what it's called, but there's a bat that just straight up looks like a fox with wings. Yeah. And it's super cute. I like that. Um, But... Night Owl is is the the idea of the retired superhero who has lost kind of all motivation. He's lost the will to do. Yeah, it, it, I I really like that interpretation that he's kind of like the squashed masculinity because he you take the fight out of someone, not right. just a man, but anybody. You take the fight out of him, and he kind of folds into you know he's he's almost acting like he's the same age of. Hollis Mason, the first owl. Right. You know, he's kind of reverted to like, oh, I'm a retired old guy. Mm-hmm. I write my pieces about owls. Occasionally. Which you, which you can read in Watchmen, the book. Which, very well written. I, uh, yep. They're all, all those, like, bookends are incredible. We talked about this a little bit off the microphone, but. Yeah. Something that really impresses me about Alan Moore's writing, besides all the, like, really perfectly interwoven themes um that he has nailed here but also just the way that he is able to to just hard pivot from one voice to another yeah in his writing style like he has multiple when he's writing from the original night owl hollis mason's mm-hmm. um his memoirs to yes. um night owl to his like kind of dissertation on an owl like wildly different voices yeah. he's using um and they're both really interesting and really well done even when you have the the black freighter being you know interwoven into the action of the actual yes. story like the way that it wholly connects on its own and also wholly connects to the action that's happening in Watchmen mm-hmm. simultaneously it's incredible and uh, Watchmen is probably the most dense one of the most dense graphic novels Period. For sure. Has to be. Yes. And it, I think it's, I, I think it's Alan Moore's best work. There's, I don't think anyone would really I don't think there's fight me a on lot it. of people that are disputing. Yeah, it's yeah. incredible. And like, the work that must have gone into 
just building the world and like the things that really flesh out the world of Watchmen are these bookends where like you know right. the under the hood went Mars the you know the owl stories written by um, uh, Dan and mm-hmm. the interviews with Veidt and like all of these pieces like they make this 1980s America seem real right absolutely I don't think a lot of people can can do that <laughs> you know i mean in this sort of context in this sort of format it is really masterful i think there's a reason why Watchmen is what held to such a high regard and is such a classic as far as graphic novels go i mean Mm -hmm. it's it really is something and i think it really holds up well yeah i think i mean it's a it's a classic it's a timeless you know timeless book right um but Um, yeah i guess back on dan yeah um yeah his this idea of the squash masculinity, him becoming retired, him literally impotent to everything until he gets yeah. a suit back on. He's deflated. He's depressed. Yeah. You know, he's lost his motivation when he puts, he hangs up the cowl and I think mm. it haunts him. And I think he is, he's made peace with it in a way. He like, seems like he's made peace with but it. But it seems like it's, it is, they talk about this in the book. It is a, a repressed addiction and they, they use mm. Laurie smoking cigarettes as sort of a foil, right? Yeah. Like, it's it's not you're not you're never cured of your addiction it's just the amount of time between relapses changes Mm -hmm. and it's not until they they break back in and they put the the cowls back on that he becomes you know he becomes his old self again he 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 regains his potence in Mm -hmm. a literal way very literally (laughs) Um, which i think like works well to the themes of the book especially when incorporated with um laurie's character as well yeah um maybe one of the more like the the female characters in this book i think you could say if you had a criticism of this book like they are pretty underwritten Um, they're underwritten i mean like there's definitely it's not terrible but compared to all of the men in the story absolutely absolutely Absolutely. i mean laurie is laurie starts off basically her role in the story as a 16 year old who takes up the moniker of her mother yeah who her mother just happened to be like an aspiring actress model who got into superheroing as a way to like kind of bolster her career. Yeah. And she kind of continues her career after that, but passes on, like trains her daughter to be an adventurer as they call it. Mm. And Lori never wants that really. Yeah. Um, It's like making your kid like, you know, go to the beauty pageant or like, you know, those kind of stories. But I don't want to be a superhero. But you must, I've done it for years. Exactly. And, and her, her sort of role in the book is the, um, the significant other to Dr. Manhattan. who We'll get to shortly, but she plays this role where she's expected to fill all these roles. And she's forced to be, you know, she, she talks a lot about, all my friends are these masked heroes. All my friends, like I don't, I'm not fucking normal. And she's married to the most super, not married, but she's With, dating yeah. the most super powerful being the on, one on all planets. Yeah, yeah. So she's like, she's trapped. She's very much, she's a character who's who's trapped in this, you know, the the glass house that is also. Dr. Manhattan's kind of, like, time castle mm-hmm. also acts as her, as her, like, kind of, like, time prison mm-hmm. in a way, in the way that she, you know, her both her parents are superheroes, which she later finds out. Like, she's she's tragic in the way that she just cannot escape 
this thing, which almost makes her kind of deciding to keep doing it by the end of the book. I not think, land as well. I, you know, I but think maybe it's because it's her decision to within look better. the context of the book. She puts on her outfit again to play along with Dan. Really, not because she really wants to. I think she yeah does it in a way because she's helping Dan find his masculinity again. Um, but the very end of the book, what, when they change their identities and they're seeing her mom again, sure. like, she says, like, well, I want to, you know, we talked about going adventuring, maybe I can get a suit that actually protects me, maybe I should carry a fucking gun. Right. You know? Right. Yeah, you're right. I mean, she definitely illustrates that she does not want to do that, and then seems to just come around to it, and yeah. doesn't really break out of that prison of what she actually wants to do. Um, but she also serves as, you know, she is kind of the thing that brings dr manhattan back to earth yeah but so i i want to get into talking about dr manhattan sure because i feel like he is one of the most interesting aspects of this novel because you have all these really grounded people yeah um and you have the idea of you know how putting on a mask and fighting crime impacts someone psychologically um, mm-hmm. and how their politics come into it and how, you know, the state of the world is affected by this thing happening. And then you have the creation of a real, genuine superhero. Yeah. And it changes... Someone who has actual superpowers mm-hmm. in this, this world, this very grounded, realistic world. Yeah. And that changes everything. Yep. It's, um... He... I think his chapter, like, kind of, everyone has their own kind of, like, dedicated volume. Sure. His volume, where, you know, it's alluded to that he experiences time differently, that he is very disassociated from humans. He has the Kurt Vonnegut. He has the Kurt uh, Vonnegut uh, Slaughterhouse-Five yes. arrival syndrome. Yes. Um, but you really, the Alan Moore kind of, like, so eloquently structures the way time works for Dr. Manhattan in that in that uh, volume where he non-linearly explains how Dr. Manhattan exists yes. throughout his entire existence. life. His yes. entire existence happens at once, yes. except for that there is a muddled future right. that he cannot wholly interact with. Yeah, so doc, so it's, I love the line that um, is in one of the chapter ends, and it's um, a physicist that is describing dr manhattan and mm-hmm. they he he talks about how the media took they had an interview with the media and they really latched onto the line um there is a, a super, super there a is superman, a superman and, and he's he american. american and he says that's not what i said they diluted what i said yeah. down what i said was oh sorry superman exists and he's american he's one he says what i said was god exists and he's american yeah and it's interesting to have this superhero character who actually has superhero powers in this world of, of regular humans mm-hmm. enacting vigilante justice and see how how he's written be- beautifully he's in a in, way. He's incredible. In the yeah. way that he is so disconnected from humanity because he is on another level. And it happens humanity. over time and it's funny the the way that they really kind of like visually explain it. He wears less and less clothes. 
<laughs> yeah. That's really, that's how they do it. Yeah. He, the more disassociated he becomes, the more he's like, I'm not going to wear good fucking and, pants. And he's, he's naked in yeah. a fair amount of it. He's but just, that's in the later part of his he life. He is you know? this glowing blue manifestation of energy and his... The, the you're right the chapter where it sort of explains his origin i think it's is, probably the one of the top three if not the best of the entire book i think of probably any like single graphic not it's it's my it's, favorite for sure it's, it's incredible it's stunning and the way that they use time to explain like the the juxtap- so so one of the things that i think the other thing if it's world building characters i think it's the way that the framing of this story and mm-hmm. the way that throughout the book the usage of time and the way that current events and past events are framed and the way that those frames blend into each other yeah and then when you incorporate it in the, the black freighter as well the like um comic book within a comic book story that's happening here the mm-hmm. way that those panels blend into what's actually happening and what they're showing you in the actual story itself it's that is distilled perfectly in the dr manhattan chapter um and the way that he's perceiving and explaining his perception of time Mm -hmm. being this flat circle being yes (laughs) being this like this 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 mountainscape if you want to use the vonnegut description of or you, it. you do the was a true detective it's a fucking flat cult 45 like a flat circle yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly um he's he it really clicked for me also i think this time reading it through because he 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 is a god in this world he yeah. can manipulate matter he, he he was born through a science experiment gone wrong. Right, gets trapped in a science experiment. His he is basically um, deconstructed. Yes, by 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 Adam. Right, and then he puts himself back and together. He reconstructs himself, and when he reconstructs himself, he gains control over all matter. Right, um, but he perceives time all at once, and mm-hmm. it I think it didn't really click for me before reading this prior. Um, and I don't think it's it's a hard thing to convey. Yeah. But in his interaction with other characters, when he's talking to other characters, specifically when he's talking to Laurie in later parts of the book, she's asking him, like, you know, what you can see the future. Why are you Why are we even having this why conversation? Why are we having this conversation? Yeah. Why do you do this? Why, you know, why can't you just tell me what the future is? And he says, it, it's it's not that I see the future. It's that I'm in all parts of He's time. He's like, I'm already silent. there and there, I'm here. There is no future. There's nothing for me to change because it already exists yeah. all at once. And I'm here with you talking to you right now. But no matter what I say, it doesn't matter because the future already exists Yeah, as it is. Like, I can't change it because it's all at once. And I think it really clicked for me this time that there is no changing the future. Mm. His actions in any moment to moment time doesn't matter because it's all it all exists at yeah. once and he perceives it at once i think the way that they play with it when he's at Deus's kind of uh, antarctic retreat and he he's amazed by the fact that he's like i actually don't know what's gonna happen right i'm not sure but he kind of like glitches out right there's like times he's like oh i gotta go explain this to rorschach and uh sally jupiter's like what the what or not sally uh leslie jupiter's laura jupiter's Lori. like what the fuck are you what do you mean? Yeah. So he's like, he's like glitching out because he's like, he is talking to Rorschach, 
in that moment, 90 seconds in the future. Right. And he's existing then, but because there's like the tachyons, tachyons are messing with everything. Right. Um, I think that also helps contextual. If you don't get it after that novel, after that uh, volume, you're going to get it then where it's like, he just kind of, yeah, I I just don't think it really clicked for me. Like, why can't you change the future? Because the future is already there. He's already perceiving the future at the same time that he's perceiving the present at, at, at mm. that moment and he's perceiving everything in between yeah um and that's a really heady concept to put into your superhero novel graphic novel um, yeah and and i think the, to do it visually is very hard yes and, and the way that it. he pulls it off visually perfect with cutting back and forth like the just the scene of him dropping the photograph on mars yeah or and the, explaining um, i am in it's 1953 uh, uh, the glass is being passed to me, and yeah. also, she, you know, it's nineteen fifty nine, and um, what's her name? His 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 the lover first one before, yeah. Oh, uh, Jenny, not Jenny. It's you're gonna look it up. Go ahead. Keep talking. Even even if uh that too, but uh, I I love the when he's like when his dad's throwing all of his uh, watch pieces. Yes. Off the balcony in Brooklyn, and uh, that I love the whole the beginning part of that kind of volume, or not the beginning, but one of the earlier sections where it's kind of explaining the man before he became Doctor Manhattan uh, and his father coming home one day and being like, "They just dropped a fucking atom bomb on Japan. Like, watch time doesn't matter. Everyone's gonna die. Right. I'm you're gonna do something that matters. You're Janie. gonna do Janie, Janie, Janie." Um, I'm going to make you do something that matters. You're not going to do watches anymore because time's irrelevant. Right. And, uh, you know, that is a theme that and it works carries on. on the Einstein you know. quote yeah. of getting into making watches. Mm-hmm. Um, I should have become they, a watchmaker. Yes. Yeah. That they put at the end of that chapter. Um, I, it, I just think it's so brilliant the way that he seamlessly connects that story together. And he kind of connects, you know, he is also the connective tissue of... The entire book, in a way. Because right. he's, you know, they, they call him, uh, w- there's a part where he has uh, Lori on Mars, and she's like, this all feels so uh, deus ex machina. And he's right. like, yeah, it does kind of feel like that. It's like, dude, you that, that he is the deus ex machina. Yes. And she's trying to convince him to be <laughs> that. Like, you need right. to, like, come in from the stars and just be the, the plot device that we need. Right. And he's going to do that. Which, I think... If we're going to transition into talking about the movie now. Should we take a break? Yeah. Wow. We've already been going for an hour. Holy yeah. Um, I want to... Well, I'll pick this up after. Okay. Maybe this can start... We can start with a positive. Mm-hmm. Because I think the way that the movie ended... Or handled the ending of this story is actually... And this is probably sacrilege, but I don't mm. think I'm alone in this sentiment... I think the way that the movie used Dr. Manhattan in the ending is tighter and makes more sense than the way that the graphic novel ends. I kind of forgot how confusing it is in the graphic novel. It makes, like, they just add a bunch of shit to it that's, like, kind of wholly unnecessary. Yes. Um, Even if they just made the squid monster attack... So maybe we'll get into that. Yeah. So we'll we'll take a quick break, mm-hmm. and then when we get back from the break, we will 
stop talking exclusively about the book. We'll start talking about the movie. And we'll probably talk more about the book as we start talking about the movie. Yeah. But I really think it's important first to set up some of the ways that we think this book is unique and important and influential. um, And some of our, you know, the, the things that we really like about this book. The book is timeless. It is a masterpiece. The movie is not. And we'll get there. And we'll get into that. Yeah. And we'll be right back. Hey guys, Mike Birch here, popping in real quick to let you know that over at StoryScreenBeacon.com, we have a slew of articles coming out featuring top five, top 10, top 17s, and favorite movies of all of 2017, written by everybody over at the StoryScreen family. Uh, there's a lot of variety in there, a lot of repetition as well, because we all really seem to dig some great movies that came out last year. So definitely run on over to StoryScreenBeacon.com. Check that out and uh, hope you enjoy the rest of the podcast. And we're back and we're finally ready to talk about this Watchmen movie uh, made by Zack Snyder. Now listen, mm. now we talked a little bit about how the read that we had when we were 18 when mm-hmm. we read this book. I was probably even younger. I'm not sure when I read this, but it was definitely in high school. I think I was at least a senior. Okay. I might have been a junior. So I, I'm 17, 18. Pro- probably, well for me, I, I was a bit younger when I graduated, so it would have yeah. been 16, 17. Mm-hmm. Um, would have been my junior senior year. So we talked about how kind of our read of this story is a little different was a little different than than it is now. Right. Us reading it when when we're in our mid 20s. Yeah. Um when I watched Watchmen. Who watches the Watchmen? Uh we do. We do. We do. <laughs> um when when we watched Watchmen um not two days ago. So mm, these are fresh takes. These are the freshest of takes. Um, well, the first time we watched Okay, it, the first you, time we watched you, it. I went to the midnight release. Did you? Yeah. I did not go to the midnight release. It was I definitely pa- saw it, it in was theaters. crazy. Well, that was back when midnight releases were actually at midnight. I don't know if packed. I have any like strong recollection of my theater experience seeing Watchmen the first time. I'm trying to think back. No, I don't. What, what, it came out 2009, right? Yep. So that would have been the year that we both graduated high school. Yes. So we, pr- I probably read Watchmen like a year at least prior to that. I, I feel like heard that there was going to be a Watchmen movie. And then at that point, book. I was kind of going through my Batman phase where I was going through like the big Batman graphic novels like Long Halloween, Hush, Killing Joke, all that stuff. Dark Knight Returns, yeah. Um, yes. Um, year One, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So I was like already in sort of an Alan Moore mood. And I read through Watchmen. Yeah. So it's probably like a year out from the from the movie coming out. I feel like this, that, that is the same thing that happened to me. Um, I'm sure it happened to many, many people. people our age. And then they read an incredible graphic novel. Yeah, and, and it was fantastic and I loved it. And I saw the movie and I thought, my initial thoughts. Then we had the same, the same ones. Same initial thoughts, right? We liked it. was it. like, you know, this movie did a pretty good job communicating the book to the screen. I remember thinking as the young naive Rabebe 
watching the movie and leaving being like, wow, that was like panel for panel the book. what the book was. So, so who could have a problem and, and with it's it? An, it's an interesting story with the Watchmen adaptation to film because this was a story that had been notoriously difficult to film. And there were several attempts to turn Watchmen into a film. Yeah. And it was deemed the impossible impossible to film. Right. And for good reason, because we talked about this. It's a very dense book. It's a dense book with, you know, some of the real connective tissue in the world building happens not in panels. Right. You know? And for all intents and purposes, on my first watch, you know, most of the lines were there. Most of the big panels were communicated shot for shot from yeah. book to screen. I remember the conversation around adaptations when we were that age was, was it like the source material? Yes. Or was it not? Right. And if and your criticism is, was it like the source material? Yeah, it's there. It's there. It's all there. And I, and I think maybe I was in the camp of maybe Harry Potter, the adaptations burned me. I, I didn't fully appreciate what a rewriting and, and the adaptation process right. was. So I remember like being burned by some adaptations. And then this movie comes out and it's almost verbatim. Yes. What's happening. So, so much. So I remember being like, this is good. You know, I, we, I, I joked about this a little bit at the top, but like, you know, how much writing how much did writing David Hayter do? do? Because most of it is Alan Moore's words just spoken by actors. Right. But I think part of the bigger part of the adaptation, and this definitely, definitely hit home for me with this recent rewatch is that adapting a story is more than just recreating the panels and regurgitating the lines. You're transferring mediums, you know. Right. You're... And and you can't take you know a crayon and just draw on watercolor paper and expect it to look just as good. Like it doesn't yeah. work like that. Like it doesn't communicate. You have to you have to compress things you have to that, adapt it. You have to adapt it. It's it's the compression of things that do not work on film and the expansion of things that do. And I I I think we also both feel the same way from this rewatch. This movie it was we were both we somehow got the director's cut, which was a huge mistake. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we got the director's cut. Uh and we were rolling our eyes kind of the whole time. Um it's it's so like it disassociates disassociates in my mind because it's there. Let's but let's talk about it's just not right. Let's talk about artist intent. Okay. Let's talk about I think Zack Snyder, I think David Hayter, they're probably super fans yes. of Watchmen, right? They have to love the source material. Zack Snyder's known for being a big nerd who adapts big nerd subject matter. I David Hayter is literally the fucking voice of Solid Snake. They're nerds. <sighs> they gotta know the deal about the Watchmen's. So, the way the movie reads to me is that, this is going to sound pretentious, Zack Snyder loves the book, but he doesn't get the book. Yeah. Because he has recreated the book, but the film just feels hollow in the way that it does not. It, it recreates the panels. It it looks right. It like, says Dr. literally the right. same words. Rorschach looks right. Yeah. Night Owl looks right. Everything looks right. Like they're they're represented well. They're maybe not acted well, but they're they're represented well. They look right. Yeah. You have a problem with the colors. That was my main thing. Rewatching the movie because before 
and I think we talked about this before watching the movie, we both agreed, like, it's pretty panel for panel similar. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't really remember disliking the film. We'll see when we watch it again. Rewatching the movie, I do have a problem with the colors. Not so much that the colors in the movie are bad or don't work. It's that it's so... It takes... The book is a vibrant masterpiece. Mm-hmm. It almost looks like some like old school, like, when Jack Kirby was like drawing his weird fucking alien shit all the time. Yeah. It almost like looks like that. When you read some of the Black Freighter stuff, it it's pops. like green, pink, yellow, these like vibrant, lush, beautiful colors. And then when you're watching the Snack Snyder, this Zack Snyder joint, it's like <laughs> the Snack Snyder, the, the Snack Snyder, um, which is a chocolate bar I would eat. Yes, uh, it's like gray, brown, blue, a little yeah. bit. Well, I mean, Doctor Manhattan's there, so some blue, but it's very drab. It's very dark. It's very gritty, and it's you think, you know, if I didn't just read the book, I'd be like, yeah, I think that's what Watchmen's all about. Is a dark grittiness. When you look at the Okay, do you remember, like, the last scene in the book, or, like, one of the last scenes in the book, when the apocalypse happens, when the squid monster gets teleported into New York City? Yep. That thing is, like, a fucking rainbow, and all the, you know, the gore... Yeah, it's a lot of gore. super colorful. Yes. And that's the one part of the book that is very gory. And is not gory in the movie... Whereas yeah. the rest of the movie <laughs> is super gory, where the book is not that gory. Also, there's, like, a weird... So, so you... We before we took the break, you kind of mentioned how um, the ending of the movie is a little bit more palatable. Should we come back to that? Should that be like kind of? The I just had a weird. Idea? I had just a weird. Right, go uh, ahead. Go ahead, hit so it. okay, so you know how the ending of the graphic novel. Let's talk. Let's just talk about it. Let's get it out of the okay. way. Well, I just this. I just, there's just like one kind of like weird plot hole that I noticed in the movie. So in the end of the book. There's the kid wearing the smiley face. Yes. He spills the thing on it. Yes. They mention how they didn't die in New York City because they were, like, elsewhere, right? Mm Mm-hmm. It kind of makes sense that, like, where the squid monster teleported in, not everybody died. Right. In the movie, which has the same ending, Mm -hmm. it's like a nuclear apocalypse. Kind of, They level the city. Yes. Even even in the book, they mention how it was looked like Hiroshima, but the buildings were still there. Mm Mm-hmm. So I just thought that was kind of weird. Yeah, that is. But that's a nitpick. Yeah, I think. It is a nitpick. It, it's 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 just that the movie tries to convey that grittiness through browns and drabs and yeah. and grays, and it misses the grittiness of Watchmen comes from the themes it's portraying, and I just really think the movie drops the ball actually communicating those themes. Like, yeah, it's regur- it feels like a pantomime. It's regurgitating the lines of the mm-hmm. book. Without actually capturing the soul and the character that the book portrays. And I think part of that is that the actual acting of the the, the actors portraying um, their characters on screen is pretty weak. Yeah. And from some like some good actors. They're from, good actors. From pretty decent actors yeah. who are just not who are just kind of phoning it in, it feels like a yeah. lot of the time. Especially like I remember I remember being like, Oh, but like uh Billy Crowder? Billy Crudup. I remember being like, his Dr. Manhattan was pretty good. Watching it this time, I'm just like, ooh, that's just not at all what I, I remember. And I like Billy Crudup I think a lot. we're definitely like, more critical now in that we've spent a year like, doing actual critical analysis of For film. sure, uh, yeah. But, and you've also been through, you know, screenwriting, like... Yeah, I mean, I literally have taken a class on adaptation. Yeah, yeah. I've, adap- I've adapted things. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's... Uh, 
And it just it just feels like a hollow adaptation. Do you think the movies? Do you think partly it's playing it safe, trying to be like we're just going to make something that's pretty verbatim, what the book is. We're going to make something what, recognizable. That's what fans want, though. Yes, because I think they thought, and I think that's kind of by two thousand nine. I'm sure public opinion on the movie has changed since then. But in two thousand nine, no, I think even in two thousand nine, there were a lot of people who were like, "That was a fucking bad movie." Yeah, but I do. I remember just. I there remember people who were like, like I was pretty close. I don't know. Well, that was that's what made it good. Yeah. Was that it was so similar. But I also think we've said this now, like out we took a deeper read of this book now than we did when we were in high it school. It spoke to us like, a little bit it, more. It, we, yeah. I think we connected more in the themes and we were able to like look deeper at the subtext of the book and think about that yeah. with, you know, a much wiser perspective than when we were in high school. Yeah, I mean, the moments, some of the moments that we talked about in the earlier part of the podcast weren't, you know, uh, Dan and Lori beating the shit out of people in an alleyway. We're talking about the therapist talking to Rorschach right. and being like, turn, like those to me are the things that make Watchmen the, like a masterpiece. Yes. It's not breaking someone's arm or cutting someone's limbs off or hacking someone's head in half. And in many ways, None it's, of that stuff it's, it's critical of those very things. Like yeah. the book is critical of that idea of, and, and it is very careful in the way that it portrays the way that these heroes see themselves versus how they are actually acting yeah. upon the world and how they have really pretty small actual like impacts to the world. And then you have the Snyder adaptation where, uh, you know, uh, Lori and Dan are in this alleyway and they have superhuman powers and they're just fucking up. These, they're just like, like doing karate so, ninja like, moves. Yeah, and yeah, like yeah. just snapping people's bones out and like snapping their necks and like just fucking murdering these people yeah. in the alleyway. In the graphic novel, they, they, they subdue them. I think like, you know, there's a scene where like Dan like fucking pushes someone's like nose back in their head almost. Right. But they don't, get, they subdue them. Right. They, they do a Batman where I, they put I, them all to sleep. Lori straight up puts a knife in someone's neck yeah in that scene in the movie it's wild. It's like, this is you're missing the whole thing oh well i think now is a good time for you to mention the when walter kovacs dies yes that scene so, so go, go that, that scene yeah. is so in the book he has this moment this tipping point where he realizes that this six-year-old girl has been murdered and fed to dogs by the, the her kidnapper yeah and he breaks and he <laughs> what he winds up doing is chaining this guy to a chair and lights the building on fire. And he gives him a saw. And gives him a saw. And he tells and him he's just like, like you know, there's probably not enough time for you to cut the chain. So Yeah, so don't waste your time on the chain. Yeah. And he stands and there and watches. Out. Yeah, and then watches and makes sure that no one leaves. And then he has this great monologue about, you know, the the human flesh burning and, and he looks yeah. to the sky and God is not there. And it's just like kind of awesome, like nihilist like there's, monologue. There's moments of the scene in the movie, there's one moment in the scene that I really like in the movie, mm -hmm. which is not what it would have been in the book, but it's when um, Rorschach is like, like huffing and puffing and the guy's like confessing what he did. He's like, I can't, horribly acted. I killed her. What can I say? Yeah. But Rorschach, you got no evidence yeah, on me. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Kill me? And he does. Um, But I really like the body language. This is such a, like a small thing I like, but the body language and like the huffing and puffing that Rorschach's doing when he's looking for a knife to like kill a him with. Yeah, and like yeah. that part, I was that I, I was like, that's good. Yes. I like that, yes. you know? And it's not to say, okay, 
I don't think this is a very good movie, but it's no. not to say that there's no good aspects of this movie. No, I no, think I don't want to be too mean. It's, to and that's the, that's yeah. the thing that makes it kind of more frustrating. Is like we want it to be good. Almost, it's not almost there. But no, it's, it's like, a lot it's, farther away than I ever thought it could be. It is farther away than I thought, but like, I mean, the production is there. It's just missing a feeling of soul, and it's missing the, the like the soul of that scene. And, and I think that the part of that scene that really makes it impactful is the impact that it has on the psychologist that Walter Kovacs is describing this to. You, he literally changed an optimist's mind. Completely. Yeah. Destroyed him. He broke down this man. Like and that's... His, it's his, his impression of society, the Rorschach test of society that like he's conveying to the psychologist and the psychologist is looking at the Rorschach test and it, there's even a scene in the book where I he, think he, he sees the dog own, right he looks at his own uh Rorschach test and something that he said he would have seen like you know something nice in before like now his mind turns dark yeah and and that idea is just completely left behind in the movie mm-hmm. i mean the idea that Rorschach breaks and starts murdering people is there uh, and also, you yeah. can't. It's in two thousand nine. You can't do the scene where he gives them the saw, because saw now exists, and that would seem. Like I think. Total, I think like, if anything, you can do that. Uh, no, be because fun. I feel like if it had been like oh, like in saw, but I mean, I think that's. I think you still do it. I mean, the book obviously existed long before saw did. Yes. but I think the average movie. Guy, I don't know if that's the one thing. I don't know. It, I hated <laughs> that they changed that scene at all because that's one. I think one of the best. It's one. It's one of the best scenes, or at least yeah. one of the most memorable scenes in the book. Yeah. Um, well, it's like, you know, there's a reason Rorschach doesn't split his head open in the book. Right. It's because he, it's kind of because like Rorschach doesn't necessarily, it, it, it's like the, uh, I don't have to save you, the Batman likes to do. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, it's just like, you could probably figure this out. And if you don't, I don't really I think shit. part of it is also that he, he wants this guy yeah. to fucking burn. He yeah. doesn't want this guy to escape. Just, or... it just he doesn't want to give him a swift death. He yeah. just wants this guy to fucking burn because he deserves it. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, let's maybe talk about just some things that we like about the movie, and then we can talk more things we don't like. Like I said, like it visually, it's, it's not there. It's no. but it's almost there. Like the, most things, like Rorschach looks right. The characters look right. I think some of the good stuffs in the the specifics. So, do you remember in the book when Hollis Mason gets killed? Yes. In the book, and, and we were, it's it's him. You don't see him ever throw a punch as old Hollis Mason, uh-huh. but you see him throw punches as the first Night Owl. It like flashbacks, right? Sepia tone to him doing that, right? Because he's reliving his glory days in that moment, in that fight. It's yes. almost like maybe the last thing to live for before he gets bludgeoned to death by his yes. trophy. The way that they visually represent that on screen, I thought was really good. Mm-hmm. I really liked that. I, that chunk of a scene, I thought was really good. Well, to Except even, for his death, though. Well, to, to step that back further, I think the intro scene of um, playing Times They Are a Change In. Yeah, with the, all the Minutemen stuff happening. Yeah, the like, slow, oh, like spelling out the like history of the Minutemen in that kind of like intro credit also sequence. Also very good. Pretty cool. Goes yeah. on way too long. And I think that's a criticism yeah. I have of all of this movie. And part of that, I think, is us watching the director's cut. Because the things that they added for the director's... We looked up some of the like, changes that they made. Because it's, it's been a while it's, it's since insanity. I've seen the like, theatrical cut. Same. It's not insanity, but it's like it's yeah. just too much. 
He, there's so much there that's being put there, and it's all things that I feel like are just if kind of for the wrong reasons if or you followed without us, the right intent. Yeah, well, I mean, if like, listen, listener, if you listen to us talk about Zack Snyder before, and any of the times we've had to watch his <laughs> movies and fucking talk about them, the man has no idea what ambiguity is. No, he doesn't even know how to spell it. Like, there's that's the or maybe thing. he knows exactly how to spell it, and that's the problem. Looking back on it now, the idea that Zack Snyder of all people is the one that's going to tackle one of the most complex graphic novels with the deepest subtext of, you know, that is revolutionary for its complexity and subtext. That Zack Snyder, who at the time had done what, like 300 and... I don't even think he did Sucker Punch at that point. Good, but... Like, that's... Like... 300, not a ton of subtext there, not a lot going on other well, than being like super like visually impressive and like he can do that, but like... It's a telling of the time because Hollywood didn't understand superheroes no. yet. They knew how to make a blockbuster movie. This was 2009 though, like like the Dark We've Knight only, existed. Dark Knight exists, but not all movies are made in a vacuum and you know the pre-production for this movie predated Dark Knight and it was probably being made separately. Mm-hmm. But um... You know, we still are getting the X-Men movies, which in their early inception are good, but they are also, you know, part of that first wave superhero zeitgeist. Mm-hmm. We've only gotten the first Iron Man movie, which again, wholly, you know, separate. They bro- they made waves different than what this movie ever could have done. This movie, when, I, when we did the V for Vendetta episode, you know, I kind of talked about how V for Vendetta, the movie, exists between the two superhero zeitgeists. Mm-hmm. You know, it's your post Spider-Man's, X-Men's, but it's your pre MCU Iron Man's, yeah. and this and this movie is also in that weird yeah kind it's, of vortex. It you know? was the production was started before like that MCU stuff exactly. really got in full swing. And the thing is, like you know, even with the MCU stuff, it's not like Watchmen fits that mold either. Right. The thing is, you I don't I just don't think you can make this story into a movie. It's not. A story that can be into a movie. But can you make it into a TV show? You could make it into a TV show. You could make it into a fire TV show. And uh, I am pretty excited that they are taking another crack at it with the TV series. I think that... I Yeah. Like I said, I don't think it's a story that can't be good on screen. But just a smaller screen might be the better way to go. Especially, like, after seeing um, the American Gods adaptation. Which, you know, take it or leave it how you feel about it. Uh, holy but like the way that american gods explores some of the sides because american gods is structured not super similar to watchmen but my reason for bringing it up is american gods usually a chapter begins where they talk about a specific god's narrative and why they brought and they start with the coming to america they start with the coming to america why do these people bring their gods over from their country to america and it's kind of like a short story before leading into the next chapter of the book. So, you know, with Watchmen, you can you could do it on a TV show and you can have in many creative ways the Hollis Mason memoir, the uh Dan- the Night Owl 2 like owl narrative, like the interviews with Vite. You can have those things in a TV show. Mm-hmm. And so so um Dame, for those that don't know, Damon Lindelof of Lost fame. 
Uh, and also, Jack likes that. more recently, he worked on The Leftovers, which I've not seen myself, but I've heard very good things. I've heard really good things. I watched the first episode of The Leftovers, couldn't get into it, but then everyone was just like, no, it's the best fucking, yeah. it's the best fucking show ever. Yeah, I think most TV series, you gotta give it more than one episode to really yeah. know one way or another. Listen, but anyway, it's, yeah. it's neither here nor there. They've ordered a pilot for HBO, for the Watchmen series, and I think done properly and given enough time and that's that's kind of part of the problem i think that Zack snyder had is he tried to cram it all into one movie and what happens is just you get a very long movie yeah without really taking the time that it needs to actually dive into some of those subtexts and and let those themes breathe and, and we were saying too breathe. you know when we were watching it i think i said i was like if i didn't read Watchmen, I wouldn't know what the fuck is going you would on not in this have, movie. You would not be having a good time. No. The best thing that you could say about Zack Snyder's Watchmen is having read the book, being like, yeah, that looks kind of just like it would date in the book. That's pretty much yeah, it. That, yeah. that's, those are the same lines, and that's pretty much the same shot as in the book. Yep. Which, you know, is one thing, and I think it's it's impressive that he was able to even accomplish that. But it's a feat in itself for sure. But, but it is just it's not all the way there. It feels like a little half baked, I think. I think it's I think it's fully baked in the wrong broth, you know? I think <laughs> maybe. That's I think that like I think that he I feel like Zack Snyder he goes out and he makes a movie. Ryan Johnson. Oh boy. Comes out comes out of the gates. Here lightsaber swinging. He makes a Star Wars movie that says, "Fuck you." This movie's not for you. This movie's not for people who want a gray Jedi, to have Luke Skywalker be omnipotent, to have all the stuff that you guys been thinking, Snoke's raised father, who gives a shit. Mm-hmm. He's not making that movie. He's making a movie that's saying something that is critical, that is autorship. Which is why the original Watchmen is so good. The book is so good. It's, it's autorship. It's someone trying to make a statement, trying to say something. Zack Snyder, I think he makes movies based off these properties that he thinks people who like those properties would want to see. And that is the problem with movies and art and commercialism. And that's the big umbrella problem that I'm kind of like throwing out there. But I think that's the problem with the movie where he's making a movie where he's like, I think this is what people who like watch movie want to see. And it's like, yeah, but that's not how you make art. It doesn't feel like he's processing and digesting those themes. And then, putting Re- out something he's not adapting them to the to the screen in the way that like yeah. the, the 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 ideas of the book are just not being conveyed in the movie like it's the lines are there but they're hollow and it just yeah. doesn't doesn't have the same feel as the book and especially i think it it drops the ball in the way that the book seamlessly blends different timelines and storylines together um from panel to panel i mean that even, was one of the most disappointing things like even the they the do Dr. the Manhattan they do scene. the Doctor Manhattan scene, but they spend so much time as on him as a person linearly, and it, it's, it's like, what and the it, fuck? and they're not. It doesn't convey the idea of Doctor Manhattan perceiving time as this one like continue without like, yeah. and it, it's they also, don't even they don't even show the photograph dropping slowly on no, Mars. Eve, they don't even make Mars look interesting yeah they make it a brown planet i thought it was arizona i thought it was arizona because they could be the same to me in the movie but in the comic book what's the one thing you remember about him being on mars it's pink 
Yeah. It's con- in contrast to his blue color, it's it's stunningly beautiful on the yeah. page. Like, and the thing is, like, you'd think Zack Snyder, of all people, would understand how to make something look good. But now I'm starting to think but that... But he sort of has, like, the 13-year-old boy idea of how things yeah, look Yeah, slow good. it down, make it blood. Yeah. More blood, more even, tits, Even more... the scene, like, Rorschach breaking out of fucking prison. Even this, ugh, God, everything. <laughs> the coolest part of Rorschach's line, when he says, you're not trapped in here with me. Or no, I'm not trapped in here with you, you're trapped in here with me. Mm-hmm. That part gets said not in a panel. Yes. You read that in, like, the, the police report yes. afterwards. I thought that was interesting because that... I, I do think that scene is actually done a little better in the... It's more, like, exciting in the movie. It's I think. One, yeah, that's fair. Um, Because in, in the book, it's just, like, you're hearing this report of how it went down. And in the in the movie, you're you, actually You see him, him get shouting. the oil thrown at him. Yes. And then it gets kind of cut right. there. Yeah. Uh, I think that is done better in the movie. And I... You ready to talk about the ending? You got more? We'll see. But yeah, I'm ready to talk about the ending. Uh, yeah. Because I th- I think the one thing that the movie does better, and I alluded to this before, mm-hmm. is I really think the way that the movie, it sets up Dr. Manhattan working with Vite to solve the energy crisis and stop yeah. the war. Because they're, they're, they are still conveying the, the, like, the nuclear prol- proliferation, the escalation of tension with Russia, mm-hmm. and the way that when Dr. Manhattan leaves the planet that like leaves the world vulnerable to nuclear war and the entire idea oh that's someone we didn't talk about before the break was adrian fight and Ozzy oh Dives. fuck yeah we didn't talk about him at all <sighs> He's all right so we'll, we'll come back to that because yeah. we're going to start talking well, about the ending and i think his his role is so much very much at, he's a very act three yes you know yeah but the idea that Vite is using he is working with Dr. Manhattan to solve the energy crisis. Yeah. Um, by trying to bottle the power that makes Dr. Manhattan tick, right? Mm. And and use that to create an infinite energy source. Is that in it's the like, book, though? Yes, it is. Okay. It is. Like, it's just like not a, as... It's like socialist idea of like free energy, right? Okay. They talk about that in the movie and in the, in the book. Is that in the book? I know... So as far as I understand... I know that Dr. Manhattan's powers escalate technology. Right. And Vite... But is that part of his work? I thought that Vite's work was... Working with Vite? Well, I thought Vite is like he... He owns the Pyramid Company. This is things that are confusing in both. We don't know that. Until the end. Yes. Until they hack the the computer. Because it's Vite Industries is like... Pyramid is like a shell company that employs all the people that are part of that plot. Yeah. I think that we, we want to avoid going too deep into the like nitty gritty of the conspiracy details of this because I don't think they're as important. Well, they also they well because he like fucking kills all those people anyway. So right, but his yeah. it's his idea of turning the world against Doctor Manhattan. So so Ozymandias' character is he is sort of his own portrayal of justice in the way that he sees it, and everyone has their own take on how yeah. they see justice in this in this book and that's one of the most important themes but his he wants to save the world he wants more to be than the great peacemaker more yeah. than any other character in this book he's really focused on saving the world because he idolizes uh, alexander the great right y- yeah well part of that but yeah. he he wants to save the world and he does that by tricking the world 
And it, it also goes hand in hand with this sort of cynical um, take on humanity that most of these vigilante characters have yeah. in that the only way that he sees he can save the world is by tricking them, by uniting them against a common enemy. And the way that it works in the book is that he squanders away all these or um, um, squirrels away all these writers and artists and stuff onto like some island they're creating this um, alien prop that they think is for a movie. Yeah. And then he uses the Dr. Manhattan um, technology to teleport the alien into Manhattan, into New York City. And Which is already dead when it gets there. You're right. It kill, is, but it kills a bunch of people. And is set to a psychic frequency that is cloned from a human brain that the shockwave would also make people go insane. Right. Yeah. I forget that part. But, but okay, in but sure, sure. It's weird. But but yeah, so but he it's this whole plot and that goes yeah. hand in hand with the cancer that he gives all the people that interacted with Dr. Manhattan yes. so that that causes Dr. Manhattan He's to the mastermind leave. of of the plot. Right, that causes Dr. Thing. Manhattan yeah. to leave the earth that causes like the interview that he has on TV where people become skeptical of him because they think he's giving people cancer. Um, whereas he is seen as this like you know saver of of the U.S. this protector um, when it comes to nuclear pr- proliferation. I'm showing Jack just the very exact... well once more engineer a monster cloned in its brain from a human psychic sent it to New York and killed half the city. Right, that's confusing. That's, yeah, it's confusing. confusing, and it's a yeah. little you know it's it, it doesn't. It, it, I think it works in the context of the novel. It's it's confusing I actually, in the context of the novel. It's a little bit convoluted. That's my like. There are very few criticisms I have on the beautiful Watchmen. So anyone who's listening to this hey, really loves Watchmen. Even things that you really, really love. Half flaws. You can be critical of. Yes. I think that female characters are underwritten. I think that Squid Monster, though, is visually sick. And I do love the idea of, like... It's like Bioshock. Right. One day we'll talk about Bioshock. But yeah, for right now, we'll like... Putting all of these, like, artists and scientists in a separate place to, like... make this monster to make this plot device Mm -hmm. i think is so good it's interesting i think it's great i think it's i love that kind of weird angle because in in the book like the bohemians and the artists and the beatniks or even like maybe the more people who are involved in like more commercial art are not discussed Except for the Black Freighter, and then you find out that he's also one of the artists that right. are creating Shea, the monster. I think is the name Shea, of the uh, writer. Yes, first name Shay, something else or something Shay. But he's he's creating them. This he's also helping create the monster. And then yeah. the the reason that the comedian is killed is because he finds out about this plot. Yeah, and um, he and Vite kills him. Yeah, and he also it breaks him. Right, because he because the comedian like he lives for conflict. He lives for war. Right, and Vite basically took the joke away right or he's that's his, his he plot. did the biggest joke of all yeah by tricking all of humanity and and by by uniting humans against a greater force right right but the movie changes the alien for dr manhattan himself yeah. and the idea is that Vite uses the dr manhattan power to make it look like he, dr manhattan has staged an attack dr manhattan who has since left earth yeah has staged an attack on major cities across the world mm-hmm. so that all the world's superpowers unite to try to they 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 
find peace to unite yes. so that they can prevent Dr. Manhattan from ever doing this again. Mm. And the idea that they're using this alien, this superpower, this other that already exists on Earth, that he's using this against people rather than just introducing this kind of like almost like it's it's for a book that is so grounded in reality the idea that he just uses like an alien extraterrestrial that he has artists like create create is a little bit like silly and the idea of the movie using dr manhattan as that device to unite the world against this other is i think so much more concise and tight yes it yeah because the movie is already two and a half hours long in the theatrical yeah, cut. Yeah, you got Three hours long fucking, in the director's cut yeah. to like just explain this island and all these <clears throat> writers and artists creating this E.T. that yeah. that they use to unite the world. Right. Would have been impossible. I just kind of wish that they, uh, you know, I almost wish the book kind of explained those characters more. The people like making, like the art and making the monster, you know? I, the, with the book or the, the book? the book you wish the book expl- yeah, yeah and that's the thing is i think that's that also makes it kind of confusing is that the book is seeding the idea of you know this island and this this like you get little glimpses of it but it is supposed to come as kind of a surprise at the end right whereas the movie is seeding the idea of vite and dr manhattan working on this technology together to solve the energy crisis, to prevent the war. Yeah. And then Vite using that to unite the world by by pulling this trick on everyone. And then the idea of Rorschach wanting to expose this lie. Yeah. And everyone kind of, well, Manhattan that primarily turning on Rorschach to say like, yeah. Rorschach being um, unrelenting in his own... Yeah. Con- Even in, in the face sense, of evil. Sense the of justice. Like, yeah. The real idea that that like no Vite has successfully instilled world peace here. Well, even now to undermine that would create much worse consequences. Yes. yes. It's it's that idea. Like like Rorschach's interpretation of justice is so narrow minded. Yeah. Um and, and Vite is really like looking at the greater good sort of picture, um, very much like of sort of fascism versus socialism yeah, kind for of sure. way to look at it. But even with Rorschach, though, I find myself compelled. I mean, that's the point of the story, is to find yourself kind of being like, well, it's just, instead of it being like a giant, like in other stories where maybe it'd be a giant government conspiracy to do such a thing, mm-hmm. it's the conspiracy of this one man. Yeah. But... But it's, it's the lie for the greater good of the people. Yeah. I just like, you know, how does that sit with you more? That's a hard thing. That's, yeah, that's not that's the question. And the book is not saying like, this it's is good. the right thing to do. This is a good thing to do. But it's saying like, there is merit to this idea. Yeah. And it's creating the conversation there. And yeah. I, I to just kill think, To kill a million to save billions. The, the, yeah. the movie and the book are not saying different things with the endings. I just think using the the kind of like tool that is yeah. already in your pocket rather than creating this kind of extra extraterrestrial yeah. thing. <laughs> Very literally, yeah. Uh, it is yeah. much more concise. Yes. For sure. I think it just yeah. it all fits together nicely. nicely. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree with that. And that's the one really nice thing I will say. I'm glad for this movie. I'm glad that Zack Snyder did not try to do the octopus Can you monster. Fucking imagine. But I told the HBO that show been a mess. does. <laughs> I don't know. I kind of hope that the HBO you show like, like maintains. That's like the one thing that you can take away from the Zack Snyder yeah. version that is 
is, I think, an improvement on the book. Yeah, it does get really confusing. It's a weird thing. I also, I just also like it's it. I like how it's a little bit confusing. Confusing, but I, I think more so, it's just, it just, it's just, it doesn't work as it doesn't, it, it doesn't. doesn't yeah. it, all of it comes together because even in the book, like the alien shows up and Doctor Manhattan is like, mm, you know what, I, like. You know, you, you did this thing, Vite, and um, I'm just going to bail because I'm kind of fucked. I'm tired of this. Well, like, what's cool is, like, anymore. in the book, it's awesome because he he walks across water, and uh-huh. then he tells Vite, I'm going to go create some life. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's yeah. it's great. It's just, like, very, like, on the nose. Like, yeah, imagery, definitely. But it's and awesome. And also, yeah. like, Lori, my girlfriend, or ex-girlfriend, I don't really know. She's fucking like Dan banging now. Dan in your fucking villain palace in Antarctica. So I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go, dude. I'm pretty over this very yeah, complicated I'm over shit. It. Whereas in the movie, it's like Doctor Manhattan needs to leave Earth because of what Vite just did. Like he doesn't have a choice. Well, I think it's, isn't that he? He could have stayed, but it's because he's so morally, the remaining part of his humanity is is at stake Lori leaving him fighting about the cancer he he can't process it you know mm-hmm. so he has to kind of leave and think about his whole life and i think he's so smart and he's so omnipotent that he's better suited to be a god and create life than mm-hmm. to deal with the affairs of something he's not created right basically the creation by a different god that we don't see right yeah, and I think that's so. It's so interesting with Doctor Manhattan's character to portray a superhero in this way of like, I am just so on a different plane than yeah. humans that I just can't relate to them. And and seeing the struggle of a once human character go through that, yeah. I think is really awesome. You can see the fucking mad like atoms that make a human, but it's also really great when he can see the beauty of human life, which is right. what compels him to go back home. Yes. And, I, and I do think it's a beautiful sentiment where Laurie to him is something that's so beautiful and so wholly good despite the vitriol that she is born from. Right. And I, it's, I think the movie a little bit drops the ball in conveying that as well. And I think the way it's written in the book is very good because he talks about, he talks about like also the thermo, sexual thermodynamic. Well, he yeah. talks about the thermodynamic impossibility of mm. like just air suddenly turning into gold. And then yeah. he relates that to humans where Laurie, born of of this terrible relationship between the comedian who tried to rape her mother, and yeah. then ultimately they wind up together, and all the odds are against this, but mm-hmm. still he finds something beautiful in Laurie <clears throat> in her character. Which the thing that doesn't work for me as well is like, what about Laurie does he find to be so appealing? Because the reason that he went to Laurie in the first place is because. His at the time girlfriend Jamie was getting was older. aging, and Lori was sixteen, and yeah. wearing like a latex outfit. So like that is the part, like kind of the disconnect for me. But it's weird that he even has sexual desire at that stage. Yes. And it's it's weird. It's yeah. weird that he's like a horny god. Yeah, but <laughs> well, like, I mean, eh, I guess if you think about like other cultures, most, god, yeah, they most get pretty gods horny. are pretty horny. But yeah. I, but that yeah, that part just doesn't quite work for me. But yeah that idea that like he sees kind of the the wonder in humanity in the way that like each hum- like each representation of human life is so unique mm-hmm. and so impossible 
that like that's worth something yeah and there's and millions of those impossibilities yes. that populate the earth yes yeah. that is cool also something i just don't think they really get across that well in the movie no the like, movie he says those lines but i just don't think it there there are times where he it's just crazy in the movie they're saying some of the most well-written monologues in any graphic novel and they say in the movie and i'm so fucking bored when they're saying it and yeah. i'm just like what the acting is just, we haven't really shouted out any of the specific actors i think because like in this movie it's a movie that's made up of a lot of very recognizable faces again that, like good actors like pretty good actors pretty recognizable faces you got well malina ackerman is the like is uh lori jupiter in there and i just Boy, She's not the best. I don't know what happened, but some of those lines, oh man! I just think she's not the worst actor either. I think we've that, seen I, her in other stuff dude, where they, she's been pretty good. We talked about how the female characters in the Watchmen book aren't that well written. They are Zack Snyder, beefy macho nerd cake is giving her nothing to work with. Not exactly. That's well just known it. For That's his, just it. His, uh, representation his, of female characters is well handling of ah uh, dog. No, he just no. Um. Billy Crudup as Dr. Manhattan. Billy, Billy Crudup's Crudup. a great actor. I love him in Big Fish. Patrick Wilson, mm-hmm. Night Owl. Yep, he's um, great. The guy who plays uh, Rorschach again? Jackie Earl Haley. He's great He's great in a lot yeah. of stuff. Yeah. yeah, he's been in a ton of stuff as well. Jeffrey Dean Morgan, mm-hmm. who's, I think, become a lot more famous for um, Walking Dead. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a lot of recognizable faces. And I, there are good actors. Jeffrey Dean Morgan, I think, does a pretty good job as a comedian, but... Uh, yeah, I yeah, because he's he's sparingly used. Yes. Um, so you know the short, but even like you know when when you're watching when you see the scene of him killing the pregnant Vietnamese woman in the book, it is fucking disgusting and it is terrifying. Yeah. And when you see it in the movie, it's just kind of hard to feel for what's happening, and yeah. it's literally the same. It just feels flat. The whole just movie feels just feels yeah. flat, and it's like. <sighs> It's just all this, like, weird machismo garbage that people think that the boys who like comic books would like. And it's, like, it's just... It's a product of its time. It's a product of a time where people did not understand why people like superhero movies. Yeah. We're about to see Black Panther, which seems to be a movie that people are like, <laughs> guess what? We know what people want. Yeah. We know what people want out of this yeah. shit. But it, yeah. it's what people want in the, like, other aspect of it. Like, yeah. we're... We are talking about bigger things through the lens of superheroes. And that's mm-hmm. what Watchmen is. It's, like... It's turning the lens back on itself and saying, like, what are the stories that we can tell through this idea of superheroism? And mm-hmm. what what are the what are the hypocritical aspects of superheroism? And what are the, you know, political and psychological the aspects? Detriments of it? to going exactly. down this path. Yeah. And and how can we tell a story through that lens? Yeah. And the movie adaptation it just is the veneer of all that stuff without like the actual like heart of it and that's a bummer that's a bummer to go back to that and and yeah and like but at the same time it's a story that's really really dense and really really hard to get to that 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 like you know the heart of that nut it's and, incredible that the movie even exists in, in in a way i feel the same way about viva vendetta but to like a lesser extent yeah and the thing, the, the the kind of sad thing about both, I've you know I've been now part of these two uh, Alan Moore episodes. Yep. I think Watchmen can be made into a really great TV series, and it 
probably will be. I and hope that's, so. And that's awesome. I fingers crossed. What makes me sad is I don't know where V from Vendetta ever fits back into the picture. You know, like yeah. And I love V from Vendetta, and I do think V from Vendetta could make a better TV show than it could movie because I do think the movie. Uh, listen to the episode to find out, but the movie does not deal with the politics and the real subject matter that I like about the story as well as the graphic novel does, of course. I mean, we have the same criticism about the Watchmen exactly. movie versus the But, uh, you know, I... I but it's, it's... I think that's a, a a criticism that is probably inherent to most book-to-movie adaptations yeah. is you are presenting the visuals of that thing, but in most cases, like, missing some of the deeper themes that are make the book special. A Jurassic Park, I think, kind of nails it. That's a really good movie. Very yeah. good book. Adaptation. Even like you know, if you want to talk about adaptations of graphic novels, like the uh, the animated uh, Dark Knight Returns movies, they're mm-hmm. fun as hell. Yeah, they're great. You yeah. know, and maybe it's because like you're doing cartoon, you're doing graphic novels to cartoon, so yeah. it's like a little bit better. Yeah, but the, even the performances are there. Yeah, you know, even the the acting's there. So yeah, I don't know. It's just uh, you know. You said it earlier, Zack Snyder's not the guy to tap for this kind of movie. No. He never should have been. No. The it's unbelievable that he's the one that they tapped in the first place. Yeah. But I like can't say it was of, a different time. It's that's. He was on some hype for doing 300. I mean, it's the easy, easy example to go to, but can you imagine, like, if instead of Batman, Chris Nolan was uh, given Watchmen? And he did, like, three movies of and Watchmen? He did a trilogy. Mm. Chris Nolan would have been good. Where's some other good ones? Well, I was thinking, so when we were talking about TV, I was thinking, like, I only because I want Brian Fuller to direct yes. everything, but yes. he would legitimately do a good job. Wow, with. yeah, that would be pretty cool. That'd be crazy. Michael Green, Brian Fuller doing a Watchmen adaptation? Man. You ready to lose your fucking mind? Well, I guess we'll see uh, Damon Lindelof's crack at it. He'll do good, too. Uh, I, I'm curious about the leftovers. I gotta go watch that. I have heard but, only good uh, things. Don't, don't listen to my kind of. Yeah, I mean, people probably know this out there, but Lost is very near and dear to me. Jack likes Lost a lot. I do, I do like Lost a lot. Um, I, however, <laughs> I have not gone back, and I've only watched Lost the one time. Okay. I watched Lost, but I I watched Lost. I think in a unique way. I've I've probably said this on microphone before. Do you watched it all episode episode. Or you didn't binge it. You watched it while it was on air, I watched right? it the night it premiered in 2004. I watched it on TV. Okay. And I watched it every single week for the following six years. I did not miss an episode because I was that into it. Yeah. And, uh, and part of that was the discussion in between. So kind of had a unique... I, there are probably some people out there that have had the same experience. Probably yeah. quite a few. But like well, at this point, I think there yeah. are far more people that have binged it than watched it in that way. So... Yeah, I think some people, I know like, uh, you know, Burge, Michael Burge, yeah. uh, founder, uh, programmer for StoryScreenBeacon.com, he, he's much more into like kind of like watching a thing and digesting it and like having that time to like watch a new thing. Uh-huh. I think I almost benefit more from, like I waited till the season three of Mr. Robot was done because I was like, I just want to watch the whole thing. And I was very satisfied. But when it comes to TV, I'm so... Part of what draws me to TV specifically as a medium is the discussion in the... The water cooler talk. Yes. And the the breaking down like episode to episode and having the time to digest that, I think really goes a long way for a series like that. I just think, you know, we... Maybe I have the privilege of doing this podcast. So like I get to have all that water cooler talk. And if we do an episode on... A lot of these things we do episodes on, I get to just kind of do it all for an hour and a half. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, but imagine I think it's also, being yeah. able to break down a movie and being like, well, what did you think of those, like, three or four scenes? Yeah. You know, like, and, and yeah. how do you think those are going to have, that's going to have a ramification on the later things? I think it's also different strokes. For Especially different for the Damon Lindelof, like, mystery box, like, J.J. Abrams mystery well, that's box. That's what makes, that's what kind of confuses me about tapping him to do Watchmen, because Watchmen can't have too much box. of a mystery box. Yeah. yeah, but, I mean, maybe that's why they're choosing him, because maybe he can kind of find a way to, to string you hook you to, the to at least episode. give you that sense of wonder i think yeah so what, what are they gonna do next yeah. i mean the thing is if they're making a Watchmen tv show there are people who have not read the book and they will be For watching sure. it i'm sure there's you didn't read american gods and you watched the show and you were super into it yes yeah but that's fuller yes. yeah anyway i think uh wow we're going on two hours now Sorry. um so <laughs> we're gonna call this a wrap you have any closing thoughts on the Watchmen book um, I think we kind of I think we kind of covered thoughts, it. But... I love the book. I you know hopefully I'll read it again soon. Yeah, the, in, like, actually, in like a few years, I'll come back. There's a there's a motion comic out there. That's the other. The thing. motion comic so supposed to be really good. Properties around Watchmen, like there is the Tales of the Black Freighter animated series or movie movie. I think it's just a movie. Yeah, with um. The guy from 300s in it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, 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 <laughs> Gerald or uh, Gerard, Gerard Butler. Butler. That's yes. it. Yes. Um, which a, have you seen that? Is it good? It's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, it's just the Tales from the Black Prairie. Like, like it's that okay. story. Well, whatever. It's cool. I think. I'm it's sure. Cool. I'm sure it's fine. Um, and apparently, in the super director's cut, the ultimate cut, they weave that into the actual like. Book. I mean, that's what makes it good. Yeah. You know. I'm sure it's fine on its own. We didn't but it's really like, talk about that very much, like during this. Of the I think we mentioned it. Uh, I th- just think that's another interesting aspect of it's another the, part of it's a layer of the density. You the know? foil of this story of a man who is marooned on an island by this this like evil ship, right? Yeah. Um, this this like inherent this like embodiment of evil and he is fearful of that embodiment of evil going to his home and destroying his home, yeah. destroying his family, destroying the town he's from. And in his desperation to save the home, he becomes the evil. Yeah. And by the time he gets home, he is the evil. And that is such like the foil of these mass vigilantes desperate to save what they perceive becoming as humanity what they are. and becoming yeah. destructive. Absolutely. But, uh, you know, I think that it is much better interweaved with you. Because there are times where, like... Yeah, it's, it's yeah, great. There are it's... times where, like, you know, you're reading a paragraph from that graphic novel and then it's directly commenting on what's happening in right. the story. And usually it's within the context of yeah. the newspaper salesman talking about, like, the escalation of mm-hmm. the Cold uh, War. tensions with Russia right. as far as them pushing into Afghanistan and, mm-hmm. like, the nuclear war, like, gearing up and stuff. And also there has to be, like, some self-reflection that Moore is doing on himself when you get to some of the parts about Shay and the author of the Black Friday, and mm-hmm. like it's it's interesting. I think that character is much more like if Alan Moore went super commercial, that's who that character would have become, and that's right. how he sees it. You know, right? There's a lot to talk about with Watchmen. It's such a dense, book. but we can't talk about all we of can't it. talk about it forever. Yeah. Um, but uh, thank you, listeners, if you have <laughs> stuck around and and took this journey with us. Thank uh, you. If you have thoughts on Watchmen, um, please reach out to us. Hit us up on Instagram. Hit us up on Facebook. Hit us up. Well, you can hit us up on Twitter. We're not as active on Twitter. We've got one, though. We've got one. 
I think we'll uh, know if you do. Yeah, we'll know. We'll, we'll see. Know. We'll see you. We'll see it. If you tweet at, is it? What's our Twitter? Uh, story. Our Twitter is underscore screen. Uh, maybe underscore b. Oh man, that's We're bad at the social media outreach thing. Um, uh, hold on, you got it. Hold on, stalker time. Stalker time. Uh, Alan Moore has a really big beard. He's also really crazy. He's Have got a crazy the... big beard, Dude, crazy big hair as well. I saw a picture of him that like I feel like he he should have been twenty years old and he looked like he was seventy. I'm like, how is he still alive? He looks. He's he's looked a hundred years old his entire life. Every picture I've seen of Alan Moore, he looks like a fucking lunatic maniac. Who would write a story like that, and it makes <laughs> yeah. sense. Yeah, it makes sense. No, it totally makes sense. Um, Have you ever hear about the interviews he has with like DC and shit, where he's just like telling no. fuck off, dude? He's a he's an animal. Like from everything I've, from what I remember at the time, Alan Moore was not on board with that movie. He's yes. not on board with any of them. You're right. Uh, so our Twitter is at story underscore screen. Mm. Our Instagram is story underscore screen underscore beacon. Hey. You can find more of everything story screen at storyscreenbeacon.com. Jack, what's the what's the next real page turner? The next real page turner. I'm glad you asked, Ravi. The Thank next you. real page turner glad to help. is going to be A Wrinkle in Time. Mm. Um, that movie comes out next month. I believe. Have you read the book? I read the book. Oprah Winfrey. No, I have not read the book. All right. Um, So people who have read the book will be on that episode. We probably won't be hosting that one. Uh, Yeah. uh, That's not our forte. We'll back on the mic for that one. But um, yes, Sprinkle in Time. Going to be the next book. So you guys are into that. Do your homework. Get ready. If you're interested in being a part of the real page turner. You can, and you're interested in reading the book and checking out that movie, you can hit us up on any of the aforementioned social media platforms and let us know. And if you're in the Beacon area, we can get you on that podcast. So please reach out if you're interested. If you want some radio time. Yeah. We got you. We'll put you on the waves. Don't, don't be intimidated. We're just weirdos with a microphone. So, um, well, I guess that could also be kind of intimidating, but if you've never podcasted We're before, nice weirdos. Don't be intimidated <laughs> by the microphone. We're very happy to have more voices on the show. Once you start so, talking, it's a lot easier. It's easy. It's really easy. Easy. Have you ever had a conversation before? I know yeah. you have. This mic's not even there. It's like, it's visible. We hide the mic. We don't even see we it. We put it under the table. We put it under that's the table. Why, that's why it doesn't sound good. It's just good. how Robbie and I sit down and talk to each other two hours straight all yeah. the time. When we put down the mic, we get sweaty and nervous. We do get a little sweaty. We get a little sweaty. It's a little sweaty, but you know, it's good. It's good. Um, thank you very much again for joining us. I'm Jack Kolajewski. Robert Anderson. Or Robbie. Robbie Bay. See you next time. Bye. That's how it's supposed to sound. I gotta wake up. Uh, Rorschach. Yeah, Rorschach. 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 Rory. Ozzy Menduius. Um, Manhattan. Uh, Doom, Doomsday Clock. Okay. Achian Moore. What do you think about those two dudes playing 
doing a new Star Wars. Oh, that's like... I don't know. I don't watch Game of Thrones, and the only other piece of information about them is that they wanted to write that like super pseudo racist show. Yes, Confederate or whatever. Yeah, they yeah. It. Who gives a shit? Number and one bad idea on the. Planet. Yeah, it's just like I don't know. You guys seem like the two worst people to write such a thing. Oh, for sure. Um, so then they picked him to do this, and I'm like, you know, on paper, without kind of all the other stuff, like. A Game of Thrones, Star Wars esque story sounds okay, but like you know, we already no, have. It doesn't you? I don't know. We already have Thrones, family drama. Okay. The movie. It's, <clears throat> it's the Skywalkers. Like I don't know. Those two, I feel like, after they ran out of book source material for Game of Thrones, as someone who has watched Game of Thrones, they have dropped the ball. Yeah. When they've like when they've gotten past where the the book series has taken them. Like, they handled all the stuff that they had source material to work off of fine. Yeah. I feel like the first few seasons of the, of the show were pretty good. And then once they got past where the books are... And they had it in their own hands. Kind of not so good. Not so good. Have they done anything else both after Game of Thrones or during mm-hmm. Game of Thrones that could prove whether they're good or not? Because if they're giving them this job based solely on Game of Thrones, I don't know if that's like a I don't know. fucking good idea. I don't know. I'm not sure what else they've done. Yeah. Yeah, we'll the only other that. thing that I know for sure was that they had that really terrible. Yeah, and that like blew up, and everyone was just like, "This." I think is they bad. realized this is probably not a good idea. Well, I mean, they can't really be working on that show if they're working on this now. Yeah, so hopefully. I think that's gotten and they're just they're, they're <laughs> under the rug in Star Wars prison forever. If they if they're doing three movies, yeah, it's a decade. No, they said a series. They didn't say a trilogy. But movies, though, not TV show. I don't because if they were doing movies, TV, I think no, I think I yeah. I don't know why they haven't worked on doing, like, we got Rebels. Rebels is great. I love yeah, Rebels. I love Clone show. Wars. Yeah. yeah, do a live action. They almost did that live action show when George Lucas was helming it. Animated show would be cool, too. I think they, because, well, Rebels is in its last season now, and they're not going to stop making. is that making... still canon? Rebels is canon. Oh, okay. Rebels and Clone Wars are canon, actually. Oh, they kept Clone Wars canon? They kept, awesome. so everything pre, because most of the EU is post-episode uh, six. That all got fucking washed because okay. that's where they're making the new movies. Got but it. most of the prequel era stuff they left canon. All right, we'll see. I they, mean, can we just can we like? I think uh, I think we need to slow it down with the Star Wars. Well, a yes, B like a bit. I think we'll see when Black Panther comes out that like going just not hiring two more white dudes to helm your projects and like get yeah a little diversity. i mean that's that's the biggest kind of criticism people are like yeah ryan johnson proved he made star wars make star wars then you're hiring these two white boys and it's just like you know i mean it's just it would be nice to have like those some stories coming from like have yeah. more representation for those stories. i mean they're doing a good job with having diversity in front of the camera but behind the camera, yes. there's a super lack of diversity. Yes, and that's sure. that's an issue. Yes, I mean there's probably a lot of diverse people, maybe doing the special effects or the really nitty gritty on set stuff. From but like the director perspective, there needs to be more either people of color or women, like you know, anything. There's plenty of good directors out there Literally that could do a Star Wars besides like yeah. straight white dudes. That's why it's almost like hypocritical. It's like Disney, you're preaching this like diversity thing, but you're not really doing much to like. It. Yeah. yeah, we'll see. All right, you ready to talk about Watchmen? That's a big group of white people too, right? Yeah. And the <laughs> blue guy. <laughs> yeah, 